When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Okay. Hello to the wonderful author-illustrator Amalia Hoffman. This is Mel Rosenberg, and I'm your host today, Amalia, but we know each other. And I'm here for the New Books Network, the Children's Literature Channel. And you are a repeat guest because you launched yesterday, if I'm not mistaken, another of your incredible picture books called Masha Manchi. Hi, Amalia. Hi, everyone. I'm so happy to be here. And thank you, Mel, for inviting me. So let's start out by telling us all about your new book. Okay, this new book is called Masha Munching. And I think you would know from the name that it has to do with food. Um, it started with the alliteration that came to my head, Masha, Munching, and I'm a lover of goats. I have a, another one, not that I ever had a goat, but in the summers, I used to go to a little village in Israel uh, called Beit Yanai. And the times that I went there, they were like unpaved roads and farmers lived there. And uh, I remember there were goats there. And we will go and talk to the goats and they will nibble on shoes and I'll nibble on our clothes. And, and they were just so cute, at least the little ones, you know, they were adorable. And I have another book called The Klezmer Bunch. And I also have a Masha goat character in there. Uh, so one day I was walking, I don't know what happened, walking in a park or something, but this alliteration, Masha Munching, came to my head, and that became uh, the book. Uh, the story is, like, really silly, and, um, you know, this is the, um, what you call the end pages, but it's the front pages, too, and it's about a goat that just doesn't get, she's getting tired of uh, eating uh, farm food, and she's going on an adventure, to find better food. So it starts with her friends uh, on the uh, farm. She's got the pigs and she's got the ducks and she's got more goats. And they're all very happy going yum, 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 eating straw and wood sticks and drinking slushy water. Um, however, um, Masha has this uh, adventure spirit in her and she's getting tired of eating the same food for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And she's going on an adventure. So one day she puts on her best clothes, her best dress, and she's saying goodbye to her friends on the farm, even though she loves them very, very much. And so, so Amalia, Amalia, one second. I want to ask you something here. Yeah. So um, in, in this picture book, the inciting event 
comes from her own head. One yes, day she yeah. just gets she just gets sick and tired of eating straw and wood and so on. Right, right. Um, and you would expect that children might ask themselves, why did it take her so long to have this particular idea? But they don't. They don't <laughs> mind when the inciting event comes from the character's own mind, do they? No, I, I mean, I think kids are adventurous in, uh, in general. Uh, the idea in the book is that it's good to be adventurous. Uh, only what Masha finds that, that being a goat in a French restaurant uh, doesn't work very well. <laughs> and she finds that, it, you know, she doesn't really eat the food. She eats the table. She eats the basket of the baguette. She eats all the things that she eats on the farm, really. But she thinks it's like a delicacy because it's in a French restaurant with Monsieur Pierre and all that. But essentially, she's eating the same food. So she's staying a goat. And this is the thing that's funny about it. She's looking for better food, but she ends up with the same thing she'll eat in a, in a, in a farm. Uh, and, 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 of course, of course, uh, Pierre wearing a tuxedo, of course, becomes a penguin in your story. Yeah, Pierre becomes um, a penguin. And he's kind of, uh, you know, one of those French waiters. Uh, not that I have anything against French waiters, <laughs> but he's never been to a farm, obviously. So, you know, Masha, Masha eats the table when, you know, he can't take it. Uh, like, mon dieu, don't eat the, the table, <laughs> you know. And uh, she eats the basket and then she burps and she makes loud noises. And Masha herself realizes that it was much more fun eating at the, at, at the, at the farm. It was much more fun because at the farm she ate with the goats and then the pigs and then the ducks and they were all doing the same thing. So the idea of the story is really that, uh, uh, you know, you have to be true to yourself and um, the best meal is not the meal that might be the best because of whatever it is, but because you eat it with good friends and you eat it in a place where you feel absolutely comfortable. You can burp and you can sneeze and you can, uh, you know, eat on the floor and you don't have to sit with your pocketbook on a table. And actually, part of this idea came from the fact that when my grandson was very young, we took him to not a French, but a Chinese restaurant. We wouldn't dare French. And, you know, they gave him this high chair and all the kid did was dropping the food on the floor. <laughs> and they asked us politely to leave. <laughs> and we took the food and they put it like in a thing. And then we came home and that's what he did at home. He sat in the high chair and he took one thing and he dropped it on the floor. And he was absolutely happy. So it's for all these children that have been tortured in, in restaurants where they had to sit like goody goodies and it just never works. It never works because they, they, they just don't go for that. So I think kids will relate to it because Masha is a kid. And she behaves very much like them. And, uh, um, you know, so, so there is this association. Now, what I try to do with the book is I try to create a, a community. So it started with Eshmacha, with a bunch of goats. And she was, uh, that's how the story started. And um, she was just going to a restaurant looking for food and coming back and eating food in a farm and being happy. So when we talked about it with uh, Brian Saliba, who was my editor at Kiku, um, Brian kind of suggested other animals. And so I kind of figured out, well, it's a farm, so, you know, there'll be pigs in there, there'll be ducks in there. So we added the pigs, we added the ducks. And, um, and then when she goes to the restaurant, she remembers them, so like you see a bubble of hair. 
you know, like how she, she she's not like being selfish about it. She's actually remembering um, her friends, um, like you can see here, she's eating the basket, but in a bubble thing, she's remembering her pig friends that are eating hay because basket is really made out of hay. So in every experience, eating culinary experience that she has, she's just saying to herself, well, she has no idea what baguette is, but she's sure that her friends, the pigs would love the basket. Uh, at the end of the story, she politely thanks, um, you know, the penguin waiter, but she realizes that this is just not gonna work. So uh, she, uh, uh, she goes back to the farm and in the beginning, I thought, well, she'll bring food with her. But then I said, no, what is she going to bring? She ate it all. She ate all the baskets. She ate all the table. Uh, so she's coming back to the farm, and uh, she's enjoying her food, and everybody's burping and jumping and tossing the food and having a good time. But at the end, she does something um, which you would call something out of nothing. And uh, we just get to the right page. She actually makes her own um, interpretation of the French food. And you can see over here that she's making all this food called uh, table with boule and branch branch and hay souffle and uh, slope and bill, which are like her interpretation of the food she had in a restaurant. She's, she's making a restaurant and here are all her friends eating her food, going yum, yum, yum. And this is in a way giving to the community. So the idea is that you go and you travel past world around the world, which you, you should do. You know, I, um, I don't mean for kids that they're gonna actually go around the world, but you mean that they are exploring. But at the end, you give something out of it. You don't give the same thing, but you say, well, what my community would need? And this is, and we also looked at Monsieur Pierre, uh, who is a little snooty, but he's not really snooty. It's just that he's waiter, and he's not really comfortable here eating the table, which you can understand. I mean, um, so at the end, she's inviting him. She says, "Come to the farm sometime and see how fun, how much fun it could be." And at the end, he does show up, and not only does he show up, but he's bringing bubbly water to all the friends, and Masha has a new cooking book called Cooking for Friends. Um, so it goes around. Um, I was very um, eminent about the fact that um, Sir Pierre will appear at the end, because otherwise kids will say, well, what happened to the waiter at the end? Because he's like, at one scene, he's actually almost fainting. <laughs> he's like, he has this tissue on his head, and, and he's pulling his bow tie, and he can't take it anymore. So. Um, you know, the, the way that I want to explain it to kids is that, yeah, you know, you go somewhere and you're going to throw on the floor the food and everything that people are not going to appreciate. Uh, but at the same time, it's not because they are bad, but because you're in the wrong place for a kid or you're in the wrong place for a goat. Uh, I grew up very strict as far as eating. I had this aunt and she served all this Viennese food, like tongue and all this stuff, which we three girls couldn't, couldn't stand. Uh, but at that time, the rule was you're going to Aunt Frida and you're gonna eat everything. So I remember taking a piece of this tongue and kind of sticking it deep as I could to my throat and then going mm, and swallowing. And at the end, everybody said, such polite girls. <laughs>
but I don't think, I mean, I don't ask my, I didn't ask my children or my grandchildren to do that. You know, they say, I don't care for it. And they say, okay, that's okay. Uh, so, so this is part of the way that I think kids will relate to it because they're just like Masha. I mean, and I think the humor uh, will appeal to them. Um, and that's what, uh, you know, I was trying um, to create. I have one scene where um, what, what Masha answers is kind of funny because um, um, the way that we say, mon dieu, Monsieur Pierre Gress, you ate the table. And Masha is answering, it was divine. May I have another? Monsieur Pierre loosened his bow tie and painted, and he said to her, Mademoiselle mustn't eat our table. So in every experience she's having, and, and he has a bow tie, and the beginning is really nice and polite, and as the story evolves, he's freaking out more and more to the point that when Masha leaves, I mean, um, he's like, uh, um, here he is, and She's, she's sneezing, um, and she's really trying to be good. This is the thing, Masha puts on a f the, the best dress. She's wearing a pocketbook. She's trying to be a lady, uh, but she just doesn't work for her. So when she gets the bubbly water, obviously she gives a big chew. and the way you're saying Mademoiselle should make loud noises in a fancy restaurant. Um, so it, it goes on and on and on, and you can see that He's really freaking out at the last scene. And you can see that she made a mess. The whole restaurant is upside down. The, uh, we're in the beginning, everything was so nice and neat. So I think, you know, I don't really care much about the adults. I mean, I like the adults to read the book, but I write for children. And for me, what's important is that the children will be the book and they don't have a to have a big social message. They don't have to, uh, you know, learn God knows what. They don't have to get this, you know, just have fun. But I think while they're having fun, they can learn a very important message. Uh, so I don't like to be didactic and say, you know what? Um, you know, when you should be good to your community and you should really contribute to your community because kids don't like that. Thank God I'm very short. So when I talk to kids, I'm, <laughs> when they claim they're five, you're behind them. <laughs> so I don't have to talk to them like that down. I can talk to them straight and I talk to them in the same voice and, um, and I think they appreciate it. Uh, so that's the idea for the story. And I also made... Um, a puppet that's like my character. I love making puppets because uh, it gives me a chance to see what my character will do if there was such a character. And sometimes she eats a sock and she loves to eat socks. And sometimes she eats, this is like in my head, it's not in a story. Uh, sometimes she eats, you know, a tissue box and um, I have a whole I mean, what I'd like to do is do this thing where I talk to kids, ask them, well, what else could Masha eat that's funny? Um, and, and engage them that way. Um, as I did a story for the Chinese edition, um, we also did um, a thing with fun facts about goats. And I learned so much from that. This is like fun facts about goats. One goat 
one, one fact is that Abraham Lincoln had two goats that lived in a white house named Nanny and Nanko. I didn't know that. They were particularly beloved by Lincoln's son, Todd, who used them for chariot rides around the White House. <laughs> this is kind of interesting. Um, goats love to eat all discarded Christmas tree paper and paper. So you see, I didn't put it in this book, but it's in Chinese edition. It was kind of fun because um, we kind of uh, interpreted, I mean, it, I have it in English, but uh, you know, we found a way to interpret the messages. Goats have four chamber stomach to help them digest many different kinds of foods. Um, because goats can eat many different plants, they are used to eat evasive species and choke other plants. Goats are also used to chop the grass and grows the, on, goes on alone. Uh, so I thought, well, here you are, you're giving the goats exactly what she wants, but at the same time, she's doing something good instead of a lawnmower. And there are so many places, I checked it, I checked it with, people that live near goats that actually, you know, um, it wasn't a problem in Israel because there wasn't so much grass, but uh, in many places, that's what they do. And that's, that's really cute. Goat kids are more commonly born as twins and often as triplets, just like human kids, goats love to snuggle. And uh, I put these pictures of the goat snuggling. It didn't go in a book, but it went uh, like a brochure. Goats communicate with each other by the sounds called bleeding. The bleed sounds are different in different geographic regions. Now this I particularly love because here is somebody else that has an accent. <laughs> I found that they have an accent depending on where they come from, where they live. They pick it up from the people they talk to. And I thought, wow, I have this thick accent that I never got rid of. <laughs> you know, people still come to me and say, so how do you like the United States? And I say to him, I live for longer than you were born. Uh, so this was kind of really a fact that was fascinating. So I think I'm doing it because I did a teacher guide. How can a teacher use the book in the classroom? And this is really important for um, a writer to do because um, you want your book to go to teachers and librarians. They are the most important people. And so when they get the book, it's like, well, it's standing in a classroom. How can we use it um, to, um, you, know, enlarge, you know, to engage our children and make them more a subject that they don't know anything about? So this is one way, especially after they read the book and hopefully fall in love with goats. That's when you say, well, you know, goats in reality, this is what they can do. Goats love to be petted and look at smiling faces. Uh, I thought that was so human uh, because the whole idea when you write a story about an animal is that you want the animal to be a kid or a human. Uh, and then he says, goats are very curious and constantly that desire to explore anything unfamiliar to them. So here is Masha. And she's curious, perfect for goats. They have excellent memory and they can be taught to remember their name. Uh, I thought only dogs, you know, uh, but obviously they're very intelligent. Amalia, I, I think that you, you need to have your own goat. You need to go to I a farm. I need to have my own goat, but in Larchmont, New York, you're not allowed to have a goat. No, no, you, you don't want to have a goat. <laughs> 
our neighbor in Canada had a goat and we lived in the city. Oh, really? And uh, yeah, the goat made a lot of noise. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes. And they, 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 so they had to eat him. No, I'm joking. <laughs> they didn't eat the goat, but it was, it was a problem in a municipal setting. Yeah, um, you really so, have goat. <laughs> so, so first of all, um, goats are, you know, they're almost human. Uh, yeah. Maybe that's why we call our children kids. Yeah, right. And it's, I, it's a name for a goat. Yeah, and I want to I want to stick up for adults reading your book. Uh-huh. Um, I I had a wonderful time reading the book to myself, uh, <laughs> maybe to my five year old because I feel exactly the same way as Masha right. when I go to a fancy French restaurant. <laughs> so so I, I think a lot of I think a lot of adults are going to relate to this. I know. Um, <laughs> And, 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 you know, we talk about reader response. Um, it'll be very, the book came out yesterday. Right. And I think, I think it'll be terrific to see what kids read into this, uh, into this wonderful book. What is their message? And it might be completely different than what the author, uh, illustrator intended. Um, so I, I want to, Amalia, I want to get back to the ideas. Uh-huh. So your, your, your book pivoted, but basically um, it's, what we teach is taking uh, two things that shouldn't be connected with each other, you know, a goat going to a French restaurant and finding this unexpected connection that the goat ends up eating everything except the food. Except the food. Yes. How do, how do you get these wonderful ideas, dear? Well, that was, that was uh, always in the book. Uh, be, uh, I mean, before I revised it, you know, in the first version, the whole idea was that if it has to be funny, um, the code has to do the something that is completely opposite of what you're supposed to do. Uh, and I always rely on me- memories for my kids and my grandkids. I remember my kid, I thought he was so brilliant and he knew how does a co- goat, goat goes and how does a cat goes and you know, you want to show off your kid and I'm taking him to this place and I'm saying, hey, well, oh, and what does a cat do? And he goes, bow. <laughs> just to make me crazy like he, he knows it's a meow but for me it's gonna be different so kids love that they love to tease the adults or they love to tease authority uh so i think that's something that uh, uh was part of my idea from the beginning then we started to think well if Masha lives on a farm and now i added the pigs and i added the ducks so now she has to eat food that reminds her of what she ate in the farm. Uh, so that the farm comes back into the story and make a story arc. So I started thinking, well, what in a French restaurant could she eat? She, if she eats the creme brulee, that's not something she ate in a farm. If she eats the souffle, it's not. So we started thinking, okay, the book started with the goats eating wood. You know, so, okay, so something, what's made out of wood that she can eat? And that was a wooden table. Uh, it took me some time to come up with this idea, but that wasn't in the original. So it's like all of a sudden you're brainstorming and you're working with an editor. And it's like, and I thought, wow, that's a really brilliant idea, but what is she going to eat? So I came out with the food and I said, table, wood, and I have her like chewing on the legs of the table. It's like you're taking a, a chicken and you, you're chewing on a bone kind of thing. So, and then I started thinking, well, what about the pig? Now she has to 
had something that reminds her of her friends, the pigs. And that was a difficult one. And I started thinking baskets. Uh, now, why will there be a basket in a French restaurant? So, okay, the creme, the baguette, the French homemade baguette is served in a basket. So she eats the basket before the baguettes get there. And in a book, it says she doesn't know anything. She doesn't know what a baguette is, but she knows her friends would love the basket. And there was also an alliteration between basket and baguettes. Uh, so, and I also introduced some French words because those are fancy, fancy, fancy words, you know. So, supposed, so, um, so she's, she had to eat the basket to create a connection between hay and straw and the food that she gets. So now with the ducks, it was really, really difficult. <laughs> And I had to do a lot of thinking. So finally, what happens is Monsieur Pierre, he is so fed up that he's pouring, he's giving himself a big drunk glass of bubbly water. Uh, so in the first page, the ducks are uh, sipping slushy water and she's sipping slushy water with them, you know, like from a big bucket. So I figured, okay, she goes to the waiter and she said, well, I drink water with my friends the ducks, but we never had water, fancy water with teeny tiny bubbles. So that was the connection to the gods. And you see in the illustration that she sees, you know, like you see a memory of her gods. And then at the end, um, Monsieur Pierre is bringing these bubbles for water for everyone. So this is something she doesn't have in the farm, but remain, reminds her of what she uh, could have uh, in a, uh, you know, what her friends would like. The connection is always of what will my friends love? I love, I left them, but my heart, you know, her head is always with her friends. It's like someone that went far away around the world, but something there reminds them always of their family or best friend or whatever. So uh, Amalia, this is wonderful. You talk about the iterations yeah. that you go through with the editor. Yeah, like but... like a, a kind of a, an idea ping pong. Yeah, it is. And, it and is. What, what intrigues me is that the editor takes on the book, right. even though he or she is not sure what the book is going to be. Absolutely. There's a kind of a leap of faith here. Well, it's like, you know, it takes a village. That's the real thing. When you're writing a book, uh, and you're working, if you're self-published, that, that's a different story, but if you're working with a publisher or somebody beside yourself, you have to think community and you have to think, uh, you know, uh, group effort. Now, there were suggestions that I didn't like. Uh, and I said, you know, I, I don't like this, I don't like that. Not that I don't like it, but I don't think it's gonna work. So the editor is also in the same situation. They can't have the huge ego and the writer can't have a huge ego because if you do, that's not gonna work. Uh, so sometimes you have to say, well, you know, I think it's a great idea, but I think this might work better. Or you might say something like, I don't think this animal fits in a farm. Uh, you know, when we kind of thinking animals. So it is a ping pong and it is a dialogue on the phone. Most of the time we did that. And sometimes it's just a question of brainstorming. Like when he said that the penguin passes out, uh, you know, then I have this image of this waiter, this pink waiter, <laughs> you know, 
and he has a bow tie. And I kind of created some kind of simile with visuals, where in the beginning, the bow tie is tight around the neck. And as he gets more and more going, you know, upset, it gets looser and looser. He pulls it and he pulls it until it's completely down here. And I thought that was a nice touch. It's a visual touch. We were going to say he gets very upset. I said, no, I don't want to say it. I want to show it in a visual. Also, um, an editor also allows you to show things in a visual, you know, so that if you're an Writer, illustrator, or even yes, I, I want to get to that now. Yeah. Um, so I'm, of course, very jealous of talented people like you who are also authors and illustrate your own uh, stories. And there is a a, a delicate magic here. Um, usually, there is a kind of a one way ping pong where, you know, you've written a story, it's been edited, submitted, accepted, and then. Uh-huh. It goes to the illustrator, whom you never meet, never see the pictures, and out comes a book. Yeah. Uh, and here, you're also playing ping pong with yourself. Right, so, exactly. I have so, so many illustrations that didn't make it into the book, obviously. So how does that work for you? Well, for me, it works because I think in terms of pictures. Although I have books that I feel I can't illustrate. I have a nonfiction, The Brave Cyclist. I didn't illustrate it. I'm, I'm not right for it. Uh, you know, I'm a whimsical thing. And here is a story about a hero that saves people in the Holocaust. Uh, and that story I didn't even offer to illustrate. They found a fantastic illustrator that lives in uh, Italy. And she illustrated it. And she did a much better job than I could do. Uh, so there are stories that I, there are stories that really start with the illustrations. And there are stories where you do the illustration, but then you have to do what you call a character development. So what is Masha looking like and what is she going to wear? Okay, let me give you an example here, Amalia. Yeah. Um, you've, you've storyboarded an entire story um, and uh, the main character is a giraffe and you've done some color and some line drawings. Yeah. And then the writer, Amalia, looks at the giraffe and says, oh, no, 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 no. This story is about a wildebeest. What happens What happens then? Uh, well, usually if somebody else, you mean if somebody else illustrates? No, you're illustrating your own book and you, you've, you've got the storyboard. And then yes. and you or the editor says, yeah, this would be a great story. If it weren't a goat, it were a camel. I, not, not in this particular book. Is, is there a situation where you say, oh, I have to scrap all this hard work I've been illustrating for two months because the story has evolved and now it needs new drawings or that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen to me because when I submit um, a project, I submit what you call a dummy, which will be the writing and the pictures. Uh, There'll be let me three, uh, you know, finished illustrations so I can show my color technique and everything. And the rest is in black and white, very rough. So obviously they know from the beginning it's a goat uh, and it won't go into being a camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so that's not good. But there was a time when I dressed her for going out and the publisher felt the art director, because you're not just working with an editor, you're also working with an art director and a designer. And the art director said she felt that the dress wasn't fancy enough. 
And so I changed the dress. So this uh, does happen. You have to throw out a lot of drawings. Uh, yeah, well, you know, in this book, um, the, it's all done in cutout, which means that each piece is separate. Here is a choice of dresses and they are all cut out. So, you know, all I had to do is take the same goat and <laughs> dress her, like you dress paper dolls in a different, um, you know, dress. Uh, if it's drawn, if you're working with Photoshop, it's not a problem. If you're working by hand, sometimes you have to redo the whole page, which happened to me many times. So, yeah, I mean, she looked at it and she but said, what, well, what, what happens when you have to redo the whole page? Are you, are you upset? Are you no, upset? I'm not, because usually I won't do it if I didn't think they're right. Okay. You know, and I said to myself, you know what? Their dress is not fancy enough. She's going on a special occasion. I did have the pocketbook idea and they loved it. And we kept the pocketbook idea, even though, you know, I had to cut up all this pocketbook and I did have the hat idea. Uh, and then I looked at it and even though it was more uh, work for me, I said, well, you know, when she leaves the farm, she when she is in the farm, she doesn't work a fancy dress. So in my illustration, I had her the rest of the story in that dress, in that orange frilly dress. But then I said, well, she came back to the farm. So now she should wear a different dress. And they agreed. And we put her in like jean overall. I put her in a jean overall. In the last scenes, two last scenes, Masha is running a restaurant. So she can't be in a jean. Uh, but now I put her in a waitress kind of dress with an apron. Uh, and, and, you know, one of those hats that, you know, like, you know, cooks and waitress wear. Because I think it helps because it makes the story go over a longer period of time. Obviously, it didn't all happen in the same day. So you want the change of clothes, and the change of cloth has to be the right change of clothes. And they said, that's a great idea. Put her in an overall and put her in a dress. So I run it by the publisher. But, uh, you know, for the most time, they would say, great, that's a great idea. Uh, and if they have a question now, the same thing when it comes to, uh, you know, the cover. Now, we were talking cover. And, um, oh, upside down cover. And... Um, I had the idea that the lettering for the word munching will actually be chewed up by Masha. Uh, that was added. So I, I, I kind of worked with their design team because uh, they're much better at making letters than I do. Uh, but I said, okay, wouldn't it be cool if the message is given in the beginning, munching, and she's eating the letters. And we kind of worked on the letters because I made this like a little three-dimensional, uh, you know, and the goat, like uh, the way she looked when I, you know, in the beginning is like that on a white paper, you know, then, you know, so this is all cut out, the pocketbook is cut out, everything is cut out and you see that she has stuff. And then uh, in Photoshop, I put her on a background. Uh, and now on that background, you can do anything you want. In a Chinese edition, the curtain goes the other way because the lettering, the Chinese lettering is more here. So they did a great job on the lettering in a Chinese one. It's even better. Uh, so this is something you work in. And they said, great idea. In the beginning, the letters, I, I felt had to be more looking like chewed up, you know. So they made it look more like it chewed up. The same thing. With the, they asked me for ideas for the end papers. 
in the beginning, I had one idea. And then I said, well, how if we just do the noises? You know, the noises that people make when they eat, chomp, chomp, slurp, you know, achoo and all that. Um, and we worked on the lettering. I actually drew the lettering by hand. And then I filled them with different textures from the book. So it's always a constant thing. And it's even harder when you are director is in China. <laughs> and they sleep all of the time that you're up and your editor is uh, somewhere on the other side of the United States and your publisher is in California. So time-wise, it's really difficult. Like I would get up really early to send a message to the editor. The other director will get it on the same day. So you have a lot of different issues. Then they thought that there should be pictures from history uh, at the restaurant. And they suggested pictures, but they were not French. Uh, and I felt, well, if she's in a French restaurant, let's give her a Renoir, you know, uh, things like that. Uh, and that's what I did. I actually took, um, um, you know, pictures of those illustrations. I mean, not illustration, of this artwork. And in Photoshop, I kind of um, inserted them. Uh, you can see um, there's a Cezanne in there you know, a Renoir in there, Pizarro. So it really looks like the French restaurant. It's so all in the Am middle. Amalia, um, your, uh, your new book, your one day old book is, is terrific. <laughs> uh, it's, it's wonderful to interview you because you're, you're so passionate. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I always believe that uh, writers for five-year-olds have a very strong five-year-old inside them. They have to be, yeah. And, um, and you certainly exemplify that. Yeah. Your, your books are fun. They are fun. <laughs> They're you. hilarious. Um, the artwork, you know, the sticking things on things is right there. Um, and uh, this is like a, an, a, a continuation of your monster piece. Yeah, it is. Uh, and, and, and I love it. And you seem to be married now to this, uh, to this publisher. Can I have, because we're running out of time, one sentence on the publisher. Okay. I, I'm not married to a publisher. I have uh, three books coming up with a different publisher. I okay. do love Yehu Press. Uh, they're not going to be right for a Jewish theme book. Uh, Yehu is interested <laughs> in books that they can obviously translate also to Chinese and universal themes. I think they're wonderful. Uh, they, they work so hard um, on the, with, the, with the writers and illustrators. Um, they do much more to, for, you know, they try to promote the books, uh, you know, but uh, it's like everything else. Not every book is right for every publisher. And I write a long genre. I don't have like one thing. I write from three-year-old to 13 years old nonfiction. Um, uh, I write Jewish stories. I write non-Jewish stories. So, um, you know, it's it, sometimes you don't know, uh, you know. Nobody so, so um, I'm just going to have to continue interviewing you because you have three books on the way out <laughs> and you're a joy to listen to. Thank you. Uh, and um, I really, I hope that people gobble up your new book. Okay. And I, I, I mean, well, this is a good word, gobble in, up. Yeah. in a metaphoric way, of course. <laughs> a metaphor, yeah. Or so, <laughs> so Amalia Hoffman, we are celebrating your new book, Masha Munchen. It's terrific. It's hilarious. It's funny. Um, I'm dying to see uh, what kids are going to say about the take-home message. 
I'm dying to see what you're going to do with children, having them illustrate probably as I know you, a <laughs> cutouts of the goats and whatever. Goats, yeah. And I, I hope that this is another big winner for you. Thank you so you, much. You, you deserve it. You're, <laughs> you're a very you so generous, generous writer. And uh, I'm honored to be here with you. So this is Mel Rosenberg uh, from NBN, New Books Network, uh, signing off with Amalia Hoffman celebrating her new book, Masha Munchen, which just came out yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Thank take, you. Take care, dear. Thank you, Mel. Bye, 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 Masha. Bye. bye, -bye.